Hey there, podcast listener. If this is your first time here, welcome to the Eat Half Walk Double podcast, coming to you from the Ascend Endurance Coaching Studios here in beautiful Stratford, New Hampshire, US of A. I'm your host, Chris Dunn. If you've listened to the show before, well, welcome back. So this show chronicles my four decades in endurance sports as a coach, race director, and athlete, told through the stories of the important, influential, and interesting people I've met along the way. While I catch up with friends, colleagues, rivals, clients, and the occasional family member, it's my hope you'll learn a little something about health, fitness, and the secrets to living well along the way. I'm joined this week by the extraordinary Steph Greenwood. As we discussed in the episode, she recently had an amazing experience at one of the most famous and revered ultra-distance races in the United States. And yet just getting to the starting line in Wartburg, Tennessee was an incredible accomplishment. It's not often my two professional passions, clinical exercise physiology and coaching, intersect, but I'm so grateful to Steph for allowing me to accompany her on her journey these past 11 months. Well, here she is, Steph Greenwood. Hey, Steph, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. So you you recently did a thing. I did. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, (laughs) not only was this thing um, a a, a fairly remarkable thing, I think, when when folks hear about uh, what it is you did um, uh, just very recently, I think the story uh, of how you got there, of how you got to the starting line, uh, is, 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 is pretty remarkable as well. And adds, I think it adds really important, uh, context, um, to the race experience, right? I mean, it's, isn't it always the case, um, with ultra distance racing that, um, (laughs) the race typically starts, you know, three months before you actually arrive at the starting line, really. Yes. Nobody, nobody just walks up to the starting line of an ultra, um, without preparing, right? either right. physically preparing or mentally preparing. But you, of course, had one additional layer of challenge as part of your preparation, which which is something I want to talk about. But um, uh, but but before we get into that, um, if you don't mind um, helping the audience to understand uh, who you are a little bit, if you don't mind sharing a little bit about um, what you do professionally and uh, how long you've been uh, an ultra distance athlete? Yeah, sure. Um, so professionally, I'm an advocate with the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. Um, nobody really knows exactly everything that I do there, so I won't start with the list. <laughs> it's very long, and um, it's just it's a very intense job. Um, has a lot of rewards, but um, it's very difficult for obvious reasons. I work mainly with um, child sexual abuse imagery and um, child sex trafficking and the intersection of both of those things. So um, it's a heavy job. And um, one of the ways that I am able, I think, to stay in this field is um, because I use exercise, running, 
strength training, hiking as an outlet. Um, it's really important for me. So um, I guess segueing into me as a runner, I've actually only been a runner <laughs> um, and really, truly not just considered myself a runner, but actually only have been running um, less than four years now. Um, started in, I want to say like November ish of 2018, which is um, when I was diagnosed with lupus. And um, lupus is, for those who don't know, it's an autoimmune disease. And it, instead of attacking like viruses and bacteria and that sort of thing that your immune system generally protects you against, it um, it has antibodies that make it attack your muscles, your joints, your organs. Um, so it kind of does the reverse. It sees your body as the, um, as the, the bad thing and it lets all of the other things come in. So, um, it's pretty complicated, but when I got the diagnosis, I felt like, um, I just didn't want it to control my life really. Um, and for some reason, I decided that the best way <laughs> to, to do that was to start running, I guess, and let running control my life. So um, <laughs> made that little shift over and I started actually with road running. Um, <clears throat> we have a group in New Hampshire um, that I help admin for um, female runners. So most of the people that I knew in the running community were road runners. Um, and I did you know, my first, so I started in November of 2018, did my first half marathon of May, 2019, and my first marathon in December of 2019. Um, it was 2020, um, the year of COVID, where I started spring, really, where I started um, trail running on a power line cut, actually, um, which is kind of, everything coming full circle <laughs> when, when we talk about um, what I the experience that I just had. Um, but I fell in love with trail running and I've never gone back. So that's kind of where I'm at. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, how did, how did you get started in, in, in running? I mean, how did you go from, how did you go from being a non-runner to being a runner? I, I mean, it sounds like you got connected you got connected to uh, to uh, a group on social media. Can you can you talk a little bit about how that group helped to facilitate you to be, become a runner? Like I'm I'm always curious how people how people start. You know, I um, Chris, your I, I think your story is is probably more common uh, than 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 most. But um, you know, I just for for me, I. I, I don't remember when I started running. It was, yeah. it was a while ago. So I, I, I'm always interested in the stories of people, particularly people that have just recently started about how, how do you get started in running? How do you go from being a non-runner to being a runner? How does that, how does that happen? What's the process? You know, I don't know. I don't know how it happened to be quite honest with you. Um, I feel like it was, it was something where, I guess it kind of, it's kind of a funny story, but um, I broke my spine <laughs> a few years before I became a runner um, or started running and had spinal fusion and 
<clears throat> the one thing the surgeon said to me was, um, like, you know, as far as going on limitations going forward, he said, you'll never be able to run more than three miles. And I wasn't a runner then. So I was like, okay, whatever. <laughs> but it kind of stuck in my head, you know, like, like almost like a dare. Like, are you, are you sure that I'll never be able to run more than three miles? Um, and then when I was diagnosed with the lupus, it kind of, that little bit just kind of got louder. And I was like, I think I'm going to be able to run more than three miles. <laughs> <laughs> it's a funny, funny story, but just his comment, it was, you know, it was like, really, really, you don't think I can do that? And then, you know, several years later, I'm running ultras and I hope he doesn't listen to this because he probably won't be very happy with me. <laughs> so... <laughs> So running is one of those, running is hard and we, we've, you know, we've had this conversation before, um, <laughs> but I, I, I think it's, it's particularly difficult when you go from uh, not being a runner to, you know, the first day that you decide you're going to be a runner and you go out and run. Um, <laughs> uh, it's, it almost certainly it's not a terribly pleasant experience because it's <laughs> running is just hard and it's even harder when you have no running fitness at all. Yeah. Um, so um, if, 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 if you remember that first experience, that's great. If not um, yeah. Can you, can you kind of share a little bit about uh, what you remember about that beginner mindset when you first started? Yeah. So I joined a um, within this, this women's running group, I joined a, uh, couch to 5k like somebody was hosting it a runner who um was more I guess advanced we'll say and then there was the rest of us and <clears throat> I'm a couch to 5k dropout but I <laughs> <laughs> multiple times actually but I do remember that the hardest thing was figuring out um my breathing like once I had that down once I figured out how to breathe while I was running. Other thing, and it's kind of similar. I do a lot of yoga, as you know. It's kind of a similar thing. Once you can get down your breathing, everything else kind of falls into place. And it's still hard. Running is hard, but the breathing was the the hardest part in the very beginning. Mm, um, I, can, yeah, I do I remember can, that. Yeah, I can totally relate to that. It in so much as. Um... You know, I've had the experience um, for a number of years of working in pulmonary medicine, specifically working with folks with lung disease and mm -hmm. more specifically helping folks with lung disease to start a regular exercise program. Um, and, and one of the most terrifying things that we can experience as it relates to exercise is breathlessness, yes. feeling like we're not going to be able to take another breath or catch our breath. And by the way, that, that experience, um, relates not only to exercise, but it relates in the, in the non-exercise, uh, situation as well. When, when we feel like we can't catch our breath, it becomes, it's, it's terrifying. It, that's, that's the emotion that it, that it, that it elicits. And the more, the more terrified we become, the, the shallower and quicker we begin to breathe. And the, so therefore the less effective we yeah. move air into and out of the lungs and that only just accentuates this feeling of breathlessness. So it, it ends up being this vicious cycle of fear and breathlessness resulting in um, greater uh, fear and more breathlessness. And it's, it's kind of hard to escape that, that vicious cycle. So it's interesting that you, 
that you noted as a that your recollection as a as a first time runner was getting your breathing down, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, does that does that does that resonate with you? That sort of fear of not being able to catch your breath. Um, yeah. Something really challenging. Yeah, I feel like it's something I'm still working on, and maybe I will be forever. But I, I mean, long before I was a runner, I've been a hiker in in the state since I was a toddler. But my my breathing on inclines has always been very difficult. I have um, I have small lungs and I have smaller red blood cells than it's a genetic thing. So I've always been very out of breath on inclines. And I think running, especially with elevation, one of my biggest challenges is not panicking when I get out of breath, knowing it's okay to be out of breath and that I'll be able to recover without stopping. It's it's truly terrifying to find yourself kind of, you picture yourself you know, if I continue doing this and in two or three minutes, I'm going to be gasping for air and I'm not going to be able to get any. And that's like the spiral, the mind goes down. Right. But, um, I think it's definitely, definitely resonates. And it's something that I'll be working on, you know, like for a long time myself, just, um, it's been a kind of lifelong battle, but it's a work in progress. Yeah. We've, we've talked about before too, I believe that, um, you know, this, the, the concept that running is always hard and, and it's always hard in a sense that, um, as our running fitness improves, we take on bigger challenges. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so yep. It doesn't, it, it, it would get easy or it would, it would become easier if you stopped attempting to challenge yourself. In other words, if you just ran that same 5k loop in your neighborhood and never went a step beyond that 5k loop or you never did anything but that five kilometer loop in your neighborhood at some point that's going to feel super easy and yeah, running true. is going to feel easy but that's as runners that's not what we do i mean you right. you 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 describe that you describe really your meteoric rise as a runner right from starting running to to within a very short period of time, you're running half marathons and then you're running marathons. So, so, you know, this as, as runners is very typical for us to, to continue to challenge ourselves. Once we accomplish something, our next thought is, well, what else is out there? Yeah. Well, right. And so, so in a, so in a sense, then running doesn't necessarily get easier. We get fitter mm -hmm. and the challenges we take on are proportional to that improvement in fitness. And I, I, yeah. and I, think, I think that's an important mind shift as well, because it can be frustrating, right? When you, when you feel like I'm, I'm just not improving as a runner. Why does it, why is this still hard? Well, it's hard in part because you take on bigger challenges. Yeah. That's a really excellent point, honestly, that I'm going to have stuff in my mental notes because I do reach that point of frustration um, at points with myself and have to purposefully let it go, you know, lots of um, positive self-talk there, but you're right. It's, it's not that I'm me or anyone else is getting worse as a runner or not improving. It's simply that we're picking bigger challenges, the further into running that we get um, 100%. most of us anyway. No, I, 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 I think that's generally the case for most runners. Well, that's a, well, that's a good segue. <clears throat> uh, this idea of pushing and challenging yourself is a good segue um, into the experience you just had. So 
um, let's uh, let <laughs> let's do this um, without getting into detail yet mm -hmm. right, about the experience itself. Um, tell the listener what you did uh, last weekend or now, I guess, is this show airs two weekends ago. Very recently, you <laughs> you traveled somewhere to, to, to do a race. What race did you do? Um, so traveled to Tennessee, Wartburg, Tennessee, to do the Barkley Fall Classic. Okay. All right. So the Barkley, the Barkley Fall Classic. And for, and, and, and for the listener that is unfamiliar with the Barkley Fall Classic, um, that race is the sister race, for lack of yes. a better way to put it, um, is the sister race to the Barkley Marathons. That's this, correct. Uh, yes. This infamous or famous, however, <laughs> whatever your perspective <laughs> is, this infamous ultra marathon um, held uh, at the same location, Frozen Head State Park, mm -hmm. um, right in, in Morgan County, Tennessee. The Barkley Marathons um, is, uh, is this world renowned um, ultra distance event. Yeah. Um, that's legendary. Yes. For how insanely difficult it is. Yes. Um, and it's a, so the Barkley marathons, um, I mean, it's set up as a, as a hundred mile race. Yes. There've been a lot of people that have been there that, that would contest that it is not actually a hundred miles. It's probably longer than that, but be that as it may, um, mm -hmm. it is in theory, um, a, uh, a five lap, five 20 mile lap uh, race mm -hmm. um, held in the back country wilderness uh, of, uh, of, of Tennessee um, in which there's a, there's any number of very unique peculiarities about the Barkley marathons. You know, you, you, there are there are books scattered in the woods and you have to find these books and rip out the page in the book that corresponds to your bib number in order to, uh, in order to provide uh, verification and authentication that you actually, that you actually have completed that, that lap. Right. Yes. Yes. Um, um, and, 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 and the characters uh, that, that surround this event uh, are just as colorful uh, as the race is difficult. So the, the Barkley marathons is again, it's, it's this legendary event. Well, the fall classic, as I said, is, is, is the sister race mm -hmm. of the Barkley marathon. Right. Um, and, and j just, uh, 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 again, for, for context, um, what, what's the distance of the, of the Barkley fall classic? What, uh, how long of a race is it? Well, it's, um, on ultra sign up, it's a 50 K and in real life, it varies every year. Um, but it's no less than 31 miles. Okay. Okay. Um, uh, right. And so, um, no GPS is allowed. No, uh, no GPS, no right. drop bags, no crew, no help from anyone other than an aid station and um no rides back unless you severely injure yourself or you would be wandering in frozen head at you know 
the wee hours of the morning. If you get yourself out, you get yourself back. Okay. All right. Um, all right. Fair. So, um, so, uh, so help, help me and, and the listener, uh, understand and appreciate, um, how did you learn about, well, the Barkley marathons? How did you learn about that event? And so, and then, and then, and then the follow-up is how did you learn about the Barkley fall classic? What's your, what's your, what's your connection to the event? What's your, uh, how did, how did you learn about it? How, how did you, how, how did you get to a point where you were like, yeah, I think I'll sign up for that. Okay. So several years ago, like before I was even running trails, um, Jess, my wife, um, and I watched the documentary, um, Barkley Marathons, The Race That Eats Its Young, the big famous one. Um, and I don't know how we discovered it. It might have been recommended to us by our friend Jen. Um, it might have been just we stumbled upon it because we heard of this crazy race and we wanted to see. So it's been several years in my mind. And then I've been aware of the Barkley Fall Classic probably since becoming a trail runner. But in but never I didn't ever really entertain the possibility of of doing it. But in September, I believe early September of 2021, um the RD of um, Barclay, both Barclays, Laz, um, he, they have this um, last man standing event, um, Big's Backyard Ultra, and whoever wins that gets a golden ticket into the Big Barclay, is what I call it, the 100 mile race. And he was there and it was for the first time had sponsorship um, because Backyard Ultras are so they don't really get, you, you know, they're very, generally very intimate events, but they had sponsorship from Solomon and Solomon set up a live feed on the course of Big's Backyard Ultra. Um, so for four days, the Backyard Ultra is a whole different beast and it lasts as long as it does. Um, but for four days, there was this live feed from Solomon of um, basically a log. Like I spent most of four days watching a log and occasionally got to see a runner pass by. Um, and at the end of that insanity, when it all came to a close, um, I went on to ultra sign up literally same night that it ended. And I entered, I got a little notification um, to put my name in the lottery. And I did. Um, and then my name was chosen when it, when the actual lottery opened up, which was a couple of weeks later. It was first first round of choosing, which happens. It, the lottery, it drops like people who enter the race drop and then they have to pick more people. So it happens for like a good year. But um, I was picked in early October. So I and then I made my wife sign up. So and she was also selected. Yes, immediately, like within 24 hours, okay. she, her name was chosen. <laughs> yeah, okay. So, so that those lotteries are always, these race lotteries are always one of those good news, bad news things, right? Good yes. news is, good news is congratulations. You are now entered into the Barkley Fall Classic. 
bad news. Bad is not the right term there, but you know what I'm saying. You're, you're picking yeah. up where I'm going. Bad news is you're you you are now entered into the Barkley Fall class. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, yes. <laughs> well, it, it, and it, and so this is this is late 2021, uh, October of 2021. Um, uh, ultra distance racing is not new for you. You you had done a handful of of ultra distance um challenges meaning mm -hmm. unofficial races can you talk a little bit about a little bit about your ultra distance challenge history leading yeah. up to october of 2021 yeah so um i'm kind of known for just like running ultras in the woods by myself for the fun of it like all of my friends know that i do that and it's just a thing i do um I love it. I love creating my own adventure and executing it and training for it with the same level of seriousness and intensity that I would an actual race. But for me, staging my own race is much more mentally challenging than and opens up the possibility for so much more learning for me than an actual race does. So I've tended to stick to my own events. Um, there was also the pandemic. So it made it a little bit easier to say like, okay, I'm just going to go ahead and do this. So I did, um, before we started working together, um, January of 2020, I did my first ultra, my first ultra distance on trails, which was interesting because the trails were, um, you know, it's New Hampshire. We had snow and ice and, but it was wonderful. One of the best experiences of my life. And then I think we started working together shortly thereafter because I realized that um, if I was going to continue to do ultras, I would really need the guidance and help of a professional. It's, I, I just got lucky that I didn't get severely injured in my opinion. Um, and then we together, um, worked towards my second ultra, which was in August of 2021. Um, and again, it was just self-made. Um, and so I had never, so, and that was it. I had never actually done a, I've done two ultras, but I've never, I had never done a race ultra up until this point. Okay. Got it. Um, so October, 2021, here you are. Uh, now you have an entry. Uh, both you and and Jess have an entry into Barkley Fall Classic for the following uh, fall of of twenty twenty two. So you've got you you got approximately a year, yeah, or so, a little bit less than a year um, uh, to to prepare for Barkley yeah. Fall Classic. Um, and while your and while your training didn't specifically start you know, in October of 2021 for a September 2022 event, it's now on your radar. It's, it's in the back of your mind. You, you know, you've got this amazing epic challenge in September of 2022 that you're going to work toward. Um, um, but, uh, you know, as, as kind of life has a way of working out, you were thrown a, a curveball, uh, yeah. metaphorically speaking, in the spring of 2022, the spring of this year, you were mm -hmm. thrown a curveball, or maybe yeah. it was it maybe it was late winter, early spring. But 
at the beginning of this year, you were thrown a you were thrown a curveball, um, which really which would end up being um, an important part of this story of the Barkley Fall Classic. Mm-hmm. Um, you want to talk a little bit about a little bit about that metaphoric curveball that you were yeah crossed? yeah so um, it was actually it was the Saturday after Thanksgiving. It's a small business Saturday. And I just remember that because we were out shopping small businesses. Um, But I had been having for several months, um, which I, you know, never mentioned to you for whatever reason, because I just imagined it was muscular. But after a really hard effort, I had been having this pain in my right side, kind of under my ribs that almost felt like it's, it wasn't a cramp. It would almost seize up my, and I couldn't breathe. And it would last anywhere from a couple seconds to a couple minutes, and then it would go away. There was only one time where it lasted my entire drive home from the trail. Um, and I honestly thought it was just muscular. I had just done a hard effort. I, whatever, you know, didn't really give much thought to it, but um November, Small Business Saturday, um, 2021, we're out in a little shop on Elm Street. And for the first time ever, outside of activity, I get this pain, but it's much worse. And I kind of am doubled over. I get really nauseous, um, but don't actually vomit. And I, it passed, but it was very alarming because I had never experienced outside of exercise before. And immediately I thought to myself, you know what? I think this is my gallbladder. I think I might be having a gallbladder attack or maybe um, stones or something. So I have a good friend who's an RN and I reached out to her. I didn't, you have to remember that this is, um, you know, vaccines hadn't been out for a full year yet. Our hospitals were full of people. ERs were like a crazy wait time. Um, we It was not what it is today. And um, I have an autoimmune disease. So going to one of those places unnecessarily was very scary for me. And I was hoping to just wait until Monday, call my PCP, Maybe she can set up a scan for my gallbladder. So I called my the, my friend who was an RN, and she said um, just to watch out for a fever, but, you know, kind of unofficial advice. Um, <clears throat> I looked up on Google what's considered a high fever. I don't know why I was thinking this way. And they said anything over 103. So I was like, good, good to go. So hung in that whole weekend at home. My fever got up to about 102, but never 103, so I didn't go into the ER. And I called my doctor on Monday morning. Um, They sent a message to the nurse. She called me back so quickly. I've never experienced anything like it before, honestly. And she told me to go to the ER. Like, what are you doing sitting at home right now? Um, She said her fear is, you know, that my gallbladder was leaking or I don't know what, it, whatever. So I went to the ER and had to go alone. Cause again, COVID still a big thing. Um, Jess had to drive me, but she couldn't come in with me. Um, and they did 
some tests um, and the doctor came in to um, my ER room and told me that I had a large mass on my liver um, and that I should call Jess and she was going to make an exception for her to come into the ER. And I thought, I thought I was dying (laughs) to be completely honest with you. It was one of the most terrifying moments of my life. Um, so the large mass, I was admitted into the hospital. There was a lot that I won't, you know, don't need to go into detail with, but a lot went wrong. Um, I, the pain that I had been having was actually hemorrhaging internally. So it was happening slowly when I would get those episodes after running. And then there was a big hemorrhage, um, which led me to the hospital. And um, I had to transfer care up to Dartmouth um, in Lebanon. There are very few places that specialize in um, tumors on your liver actually. So um, I transferred care up there. And then in February of 2022, um, I think it was February, I found out that uh, I did need to have surgery to have it removed. And up until that point, I had been kind of thinking, I was really quite focused on the Barclay Fall Classic. So I was thinking like, let's, I was just hoping that something else, some of the medication, some of the treatment, whatever would work. And it would, I would just not have to have surgery. Um, But I did. And then I was, I was hoping that if I had to have surgery, it could happen right away. But again, COVID. So it was scheduled for April 7th, 2022. So during this time, you, you, you are ambulatory, meaning you're not, you, you weren't hospitalized. You were, you were out, out and about kind of doing your, continuing to do your thing. Right. Um, but with, you know, with, 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 with the discomfort that continued to persist. Um, and not only that, this, you know, this heavy burden um, mentally about, yeah. about what was happening inside of you, right. That, that was seemingly totally out of your control, um, yeah. with, um, with, with, with any number, um, uh, of, of, of really scary unknowns. Uh, yeah. yet, yet you had to, you had to continue to, to move along. You, you were continuing to work. Um, you mm-hmm. were continuing to be as active as you could be, um, mm-hmm. given the limitations, um, that the condition, uh, presented itself, um, with, um, so delay, delay, delay. Finally, uh, you've got a surgery date. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, this is in uh, early April of this year. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, and w- without getting into 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 too much detail, what 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 was the surgery? What 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 did they what did they end up doing uh, in the end? Um, in the end, it op- ended up being an open liver resection. So it can be done laparoscopically or they can open you up and laparoscopic is always the goal, but with complications, they often have to do an open surgery. So liver resection where they took about half my liver, um, which included the big tumor, but I have a lot of tumors. So it was the big one was the one that they really wanted to, 
take out and and um stop the bleeding because this whole time I've been hemorrhaging a little bit internally. <laughs> um also my gallbladder, um, some lymph nodes, um, and then kind of sewed me back up and I was in the hospital up in Dartmouth for about a week mm. um before I I was able to come home and um and yes, as you said, this whole time you and I had an agreement to walk for just walk like trail walk for um 30 minutes every day up until um surgery and which I did and I took off a little bit of time um until I was cleared to do any sort of like crazy movement but they one of the things with liver surgery I imagine it might be true for most surgeries is they encourage you to get up and move um very quickly because the your liver you know, it's your blood organ. So you need your blood to be moving. And, um, I started walking immediately. I mean, the, the next day we were walking in the hospital and I was in my driveway when I got home doing with my walker <laughs> pacing the driveway. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, yeah, that was, and, and yeah. And in, interestingly enough, I mean, your, your, your post-operative course wasn't without complication. Um, right. you, you got through that, but interestingly enough, um, one of the more significant limitations uh, post-operatively that you experienced was with your foot, um, which was just about as far away from your liver and with a procedure uh, that you had as as you can possibly imagine. Uh, But that, 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 that foot was a, was a little bit of a challenge for you uh, after, after the surgery. And I think, I think as part of our conversation and your conversation with the surgeon, believe it was determined that your foot was just in a very odd, um, compromised position Yeah, they were under anesthesia. Yeah. They had to move me very quickly to switch from a laparoscopic to an open surgery. And in the process, they believe that my foot got caught and it, um, I don't know what, what he said. I can't remember what he said, but it, I had, my foot was so painful. And then I had like numbness for weeks and it was freaking me out. I was telling, I told, um, probably you, I told Jess, um, I told our friend Jen, like I was prepared for the liver thing, but not to have my foot taken out of commission, you know? <laughs> That's so, it's so true. I, rem- I, I do remember that conversation, uh, <laughs> I mean, you know, <laughs> of, of, of everything that you had just been through and, and what you were recovering from the foot was actually, um, the, the biggest concern at the moment because, uh, you know, you, you need you need two feet that are functioning properly in order for you to literally move forward, whether you're, yes. whether you're walking or whether you're shuffling or whether you're running. Um, so a functioning foot is a kind of an important thing. And at that time, you I mean, you weren't uh, you weren't 100 percent sure that this foot thing wasn't going to be a a kind of chronic condition. I mean, right at that yeah. point, you didn't you didn't know if this was going to be permanent damage that was caused or or it was going to be somewhat transitory. Thankfully. Um, that foot got better yes. and uh, it, it allowed you to begin to slowly return back to activity. But now we're talking, you know, by, by the time, by the time you are uh, cleared to return to um, a, a progressive activity program, we're talking early May, very late, yeah. April, early May at this point. Um, 
and you, you still hadn't pulled out of the Barkley Fall Classic, right? And and no. we started to have the conversation about, um, you know, w- what's it going to take in order for you to to go from where you were at that moment, which you know physically was almost back to square zero. I mean, you mm-hmm. you literally were recovering from, um, you know, probably one of the most the most major and significant type of surgeries that you can have. Um, and recovering from this foot thing. Um, you, I mean, if you weren't at square zero, you were, you were, you were about as close to square zero from a physical standpoint as you can be, you could be. And yet you had this extraordinary challenge, uh, looming, uh, ahead of you several months later. Um, what, what, do you remember what, what, what your thoughts were there in, in early May about the Barkley fall classic, where you were at that moment and where you felt like you needed to be and, and did you have doubt? Um, were, were you supremely confident? What What was your mindset like? Do you remember in, in, in early May as you began that that journey to the start of the Barkley Fall Classic? Well, you know, my surgeon said he cleared me for activity, um, but he told me you can because it's, he he made the analogy, like, it's not your spleen, you know, like if you injure your spleen and it bursts, you have a serious problem. He said, this is your liver. So several weeks out of surgery, he said, I, I'm not, I don't think that gentle running is going to, it's not going to burst on you. It's not, you know, it's not, it's not the same type of thing. He said, you'll feel discomfort. And when you do stop and he said, but I honestly, when I told him about the race, he said, you know, you can go for it, but I honestly don't think you're going to want to. He said, most people take a good year to recover from this type of surgery physically. And with the lupus on top of it and how sick I was, well, and while I had to wait for surgery, it's going to be a good year and a half, maybe more. He said, so you can try, (laughs) like, I'm going to give you my my go-to to to try, but I don't think it's going to be something you're going to want to do. So again, (laughs) right. Somebody told me it's probably not something I'm going to be able to do. Maybe not able, but want to, which translates to able in my mind, which makes me feel like, why not? Like, why isn't it something that I'm going to be able to do? Why don't we just see? How about I don't take myself out of the ring just yet. How about I try and, and see where it goes. And, um, with, you know, the very real possibility, Jess and I talked about often, we could pull out at any time, three days before the race. If I needed to, I could withdraw, you know, if whatever, it doesn't matter, but what's going to stop me from giving it all that I can safely give it in the training cycle and seeing where I end up. It's just, I guess, a mindset of curiosity, honestly, and being open to the possibility that I could show up and give it my best and being open to the idea that in a normal, quote unquote, normal physical year, I might not even finish the Barkley Fall Classic. I mean, so many people don't, right? So I maybe I won't this year. Maybe I will. Maybe it doesn't really matter all that much. Like maybe in the end, like the bigger things that are to be gained are 
if you look at ultra sign up, Laz writes like this race is designed to make you face your demons. And that's the reason why I was drawn to the Barclay Fall Classic. It's the mindset work for me. It's the life lessons. It's the facing your demons. I don't, I'm very, I'm very much into that. And I, I think that I just wanted to see what I could learn, honestly. Well, interestingly enough, the, the, the timing of your being cleared to begin this journey to the start of the Barkley Fall Classic um, was lined up pretty well with our typical 16-week training camp. Right? Mm-hmm. So uh, generally speaking, um, uh, I, I like to design 16-week training camps to prepare athletes to take on these either race-specific challenges or challenge-specific challenges. But either way, it's, you know, the preparation is usually 16 weeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, that, again, when you were cleared, <laughs> was o- almost right on the dot, 16 weeks to the event. Yeah. Uh, and yet, uh, and yet, ideally, for many endurance athletes, they open a 16-week training camp with it, with at least a baseline of fitness that's usually carried over from the from the, the the training phase or the activity phase that they were in just prior to the opening of the camp. Well, your your activity phase just prior to the opening of the camp was significantly disrupted for for the reasons that we just described. So, as I as I mentioned, uh, if you weren't starting at square zero from a physical standpoint, you were pretty darn close to that. Yeah. Um, and we had 16 weeks to prepare. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, interestingly enough, as, as you described curiosity, um, in, you know, as, as part of our conversations, um, seems to me that you ended up, um, that, that this training camp was like this 16 week opportunity and experience to dive into some things mentally, yeah. um, that 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 maybe you didn't fully appreciate that that was going to be part of the of this of this process. Um, I mean, we 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 talk a lot about um, race experiences or challenge experiences and the lessons that um, are are typically taught as part of a race experience if we are open to hear them. But the truth is that your sixteen week training camp. <laughs> Uh, in and of itself was an opportunity for you to learn and grow and, and dive into, into these things. Um, what, what, what was it about the, what was it about the 16 week preparation that ended up being um, something that you didn't, you didn't anticipate from a, from a, a growth standpoint? I think it was, yeah. So I was, I was fully prepared to like face down these demons within the race, but I think that, what I didn't appreciate was that the whole design of the Barclay Fall Classic, meaning this, the lack of information that you have regarding everything. So you have really no idea what you're training for, honestly. I mean, that's, I can't. That's, pur- that's purposeful. That's part of the yes. mystique of the race. Yes, that's part of that's part of it. That's part of the wonderful, like it's. It's insane and it's wonderful, but and that design sets up a person, maybe not everybody, but certainly me, to be very um, 
not on a even keel. I'm you're always kind of uncertain, questioning whether you're doing enough, whether you should be doing something different. It's a lot of uncertainty. And for somebody like me who likes, I like certainty. I like being in control of my my um of my training, you know, like I just I think that it it put me in a position to feel really vulnerable. And also I was really struggling physically. Um it was hard. <laughs> like it was I've done I mean all training camps for ultras are hard, but I obviously was recovering from a major surgery and both of these elements, the, the, um, the, the lack of in the purposeful lack of information about the race, which is again, the draw and also the physical struggle set me up to, um, feel really vulnerable and, and, and have to face some, some really, like critical core beliefs about myself. And, um, and I think that it was really important that I do that. And I, it was, I think two weeks before, two or three weeks before the actual race where I figured out on a a random Sunday shakeout run with Jess, I figured out like exactly how to word what I had been struggling with for the past 13 weeks, like what that core belief was. And, um, and it was a moment of just such relief, not because I had worked through it, but because I had identified it like, Oh, this is, this is it. This is my struggle. This is my demon right now at this point in my life. And, um, and for that, I, I really, wish that I had had the, I didn't take the opportunity when I met Laz, but I, I just owe him a thank you because it's just going to advance me in all areas of life, knowing that this is my, this is a hurdle for me and I need to dig through it and get to the other side, you know? So you, you get through the training camp and, um, it's not a typical training camp and that, um, you know, our, our longest long act planned activity you know, was 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 not nearly as long as it would have been had you started the camp, you know, fit and and healthy. But be that as it may, it was a progressive training camp in which mm-hmm. every couple of weeks, you know, we kind of we bumped up your activity and um, your uh, your compliance with the plan was extraordinary. Um, you gave it everything you had. Um and um, I think you told a funny story about the uncertainty. Uh, you, you said something like it, it, it took you uh, several weeks to figure out where the actual start of the race was. <laughs> yeah, well, there's the the address of the race and the start time of the race is posted on Ultra Sign Up. But if you are in the Barclay community, the group, I, I swear, like you can't, I mean, it's, it's part of it too. And it's, it's in fun, but they make you second guess everything. Like I, somebody else asked the question because I wasn't going to. So I was waiting for somebody else to ask, like, where exactly are we parking that day? And then there was an answer given. Um, 
And then that answer, the name of where we were parking is nowhere on a map. So <laughs> it's really, I had to do a deep dive to like figure out exactly where we were going on race morning. And it did, it took me a solid four weeks, like really intense work <laughs> just to figure that part out. <laughs> yeah. And, and I, I mean, I, I don't, I don't think you are unusual. I think, I think most endurance athletes, um, need the comfort of uh, knowledge uh, and insight and detail mm-hmm. um, with respect to the particularities uh, of, of the race itself, because there, there are just so many other unknowns as endurance athletes that we deal with during a training camp. But, but the actual details of the race, you know, typically aren't one of the uncertainties, you know, that right. those things are usually really, I mean, they're usually really very clearly delineated, not in this case. Again, I, I think you're right. I think, I think, I think that's part of the mental challenge. And so therefore the draw and the allure of this event, well, you, you, you find yourself then, um, at the yellow gate mm-hmm. there at frozen head state park. Um, well, first of all, when, when, when you arrive at the venue, uh, you, you've, I mean, you've watched the documentary you've, uh, I mean, you've, you've, you've been thinking about this, this race, uh, you know, for, for quite some time now. Uh, what, what was that experience like when you when 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 you when you were standing there next to the yellow gate, uh, right for the for the first for the first time? It was kind of um, kind of mind blowing. It was just really, it was very emotional. It, like just that I had the opportunity to be there. You know, like. I don't know, like everything that has happened in the past, and I'm speaking in in present tense, because as we record this, it was, the race was less than a week ago. So I just, I think everything that has happened in, in the past 10 months, and everything that we've worked through together, everything I've worked through on my own to get to that moment was it was pretty amazing. And I was just really filled with gratitude for just being here, honestly, to be able to experience it. Mm. Um, So the race starts and uh, yeah, tell, tell us a little bit about that experience. Most, most people will never have the opportunity yeah. <laughs> to not only race the, the the Barkley marathons, but to to even have the experience of of the Barkley Fall Classic. So, uh, yeah, what's what 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 was the terrain like? What was the course like? Was it uh, what 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 was the vibe amongst the your your fellow participants? Uh, yeah, walk walk us through walk us through the the actual race for you. I think that there the vibe. So there was packet pickup the day before. Um, and the very chill uh, and also a very interesting mix of excitement and a little bit of fear, um, because nobody knows until packet pickup, which is literally less than 12 hours before the start of the race, you don't get your map until then. Um, and honestly, 
and the the vibe was the same at the start of the race. Everybody was that I was around was very focused on getting on their pre-race routine um, because I think that's, you know, the one thing you can control, right? And the situation is what you do to get yourself to the start line. So we were equally focused. And um, we hung back in, in the back of the, the crowd of starters. We just didn't, I don't, I just wanted to be kind of in the back and, and doing so I got to high five Laz as I headed out, which was really, really cool. Um, yes. Um, as far as the terrain, I could try to describe it, but honestly, without having ever seen Frozen Head State Park before, um, I could not have known what it was like. Like, there is no way that I could have envisioned that and planned even semi-appropriately to train for it. Um, I All I can say about it is that it's, and I guess all I will say about it to preserve the the mystique around the race is that it's in a state park, but it's absolutely wild. It's gorgeous. And it, it somehow looks very untouched by humans. It's just dense forest. And we're talking like briars. We're talking, I mean, all sort just as if you just dropped yourself in the middle of a forest that's never been explored before um and i i really it's so hard to describe it but it's it's just the the absolutely most insane terrain that i've ever experienced in my whole life and that includes i mean (laughs) i i think i don't know that includes lots and lots of really tall mountains. So I, it just, it's a totally different beast. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I think that's important perspective too, for the listener to remember that uh, you have an experience, you have experience with hiking in New Hampshire and mm-hmm. New Hampshire is, is, uh, is quite well known for having some of the most rugged uh, hiking trails in, in all of the country. So, uh, so you're not, uh, you are not unaccustomed to rugged terrain Mm-hmm. And yet, and yet, the terrain in Frozen Head State Park was unlike unlike anything that you imagined or conjured up in your in your in your imagination. Yeah, I mean, you knew it was going to be difficult just because it. I mean, it's 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 purported to be difficult. Yeah. Um, but 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 you couldn't really fully comprehend how difficult it, the terrain was until you yeah. were actually there within within the race itself. Um, uh, so how long, how, how long, th- there's no GPS as we've said before. So you don't really have, you don't have any earthly idea of, of how far you've gone at any given point. Um, mm-hmm. were you able to wear like a Timex type watch, like a, like a, like a time watch? Were you able to, you know, you are allowed to wear a very basic watch to keep track of, yeah, like Timex or Mm-hmm. Kind of the fun part is a lot of people post photos of their like 
<laughs> their watches leading up to um, race day. And they're just funny. Some of them are like unicorns and like all sorts of, you know, just to keep track of cutoffs. But Jess and I opted not to wear watches. And we did that because our goal was to go out there and give it our all, give it our best. And that wouldn't change depending on what time it was. The only thing that would be different was that if I felt like I wasn't doing enough, if I wasn't doing, if I wasn't hitting a certain pace per mile, I would feel badly about it. So why put that on myself? Why not just, it's not going to change what my best is. <laughs> so I decided to forgo the watch and give it my best without the um, the added potential to stress out about something that I can't control, mm -hmm. honestly. Um, yeah, I, yep, that, that makes that makes total total sense to me. Um, before the race, a couple of weeks before the race, um, we had had a, a conversation about um, the, um, the 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 point in the race in which you have to make a determination mm -hmm. whether or not you continue on or or you you move toward the the finish. Um, can you can you d describe that 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 point in time? uh in the race in which this decision needed to be made can you what, what what were the details of that yeah so there's um i didn't make it to that point in the race but it's at the what is said to be the marathon point which is this year was actually more like 30 miles in um where you're given the option if you're below the cutoff, you're given the option to take a marathon finish um, and be done or continue on for the full 50K um, with several more hours of, <laughs> of hard stuff in front of you. Um, and our discussion was, um, you know, I asked you if you were given that choice and you had the time to try for the 50k finish if you didn't try for the 50k would you regret that because a lot of people had been saying in the group like go for the 50k no matter what or you'll regret it for your whole life right and and your response to me was that regret is is based is an ego-based thinking and and you went into more explanation of that, but that really stuck with me. And even though I didn't make it to that specific decision point, I carried that with me for the entire time I was out there. And every decision I made, I made with purpose, knowing that there was not going to be any regret, you know? And everything that happened for me in the race, all of the decisions I made led to something better, honestly. So I, while I didn't make it to the, you know, 30 mile mark, I have zero regrets about anything that I did because I just, we had the coolest experience, honestly. You, um, you, you alluded to 
crossing your finish line. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, what, yeah. What, what, what does that mean? Uh, what does that mean to you? What, and, and, and particularly what, what does that mean in, in this particular race, uh, this race scenario? You know, when I signed up for BFC, I really thought, I really thought, um, if this race is about digging deep within myself to find something to keep my to keep pushing beyond physical pain when I want to quit, I think that's something that I can do. Um, I've lived with a lot of pain my whole life, so I, I really felt like I've got I could do that. You know, it would be hard, but I can train and I can do that. And really, it ended up being when I got sick. Um, it ended up being, but the lesson being, but can you give yourself the grace to not, to not be so down on yourself if you don't push past your, your physical limits and put yourself in an unsafe situation? Like, yeah, I can push myself. I can push myself to the brink if I need to physically. It's, it's. I mean, I have lupus. I live with pain a lot, you know, like I am very capable of withstanding extreme amounts of pain, but should you, and can you be nice to yourself about it if you don't, you know, and that is, that's really the lesson. That's my finish line. Like when I decided to tap out, when I made the choice, I didn't, it wasn't because I I was within a, a, a good time. I was not going to make a cutoff, but I hadn't reached that point yet. But I just, I just, when I decided to pass to tap out and have to walk myself back over the same terrain I had just run over, um, it led to, I felt great about it. It led to me meeting this, this amazing trail runner, legendary really in the, in the Barclay community getting like a personalized trail tour, which, you know, added more miles, but whatever. I mean, it was bucket list stuff. And again, um, a bucket list experience was my second finish line. So I guess my first being um, doing the best I can and knowing when to quit without being disappointed in myself and for safety purposes. And then my second finish line was having a huge bucket list experience. And I walked away from that, the whole thing, the whole weekend, just so happy. My heart is just so happy with everything that I did with zero regrets. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah I mean, what, what, what you experience, what you experienced and what you described um, sounds a lot like a, a conversation that I had recently with, with one of my athletes, Holly Blaze, in which uh, we talked about the zipper effect, right? This idea mm -hmm. that that you can hold both um, uh, uh, mental toughness and self compassion as as not opposing forces, but uh, but concepts and theories that you can apply at appropriate times. In yeah. other words, it's it's not one or the other. You, you're right. not you're not either mentally tough or you show a tremendous amount of self compassion. Mm -hmm. You have the ability you have the ability to employ either of those either of those, those philosophies at, at the appropriate moment. And that I think, um, really ends up being the key, yeah. um, to not 
having regret um, uh, and not allowing um, the, our this ego forward mindset right to uh, uh, to to dominate our consciousness. The ego is always part of us. Um, we 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 never attempt to remove the ego. the The ego is the yin to the yang. I mean, you 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 have to. There has to be both. There has to be both ego. Uh, and higher self, those two things exist at the same time. It's just a matter of which one predominates our consciousness at any given moment. Yeah. Almost certainly, you're right, that those individuals that that um, that did not make cutoffs at Barclay, and there were, there were, I'm sure, a fair number of people that did not, quote unquote, finish the Barclay Fall Classic. Um, and those with an ego forward mindset likely got back on their airplanes to travel back home with a tremendous amount of regret and disappointment, uh, and angst and, uh, hand wringing, uh, and dissatisfaction. And all of those things are incredibly counterproductive because truth yeah. is, truth is that, that the, that for you and for many, the Barkley fall classic is a bucket list thing. It, it is, yeah. it's an extraordinary experience that, that just quite honestly, very, very few ultra runners will ever have the opportunity to experience. And so what mm -hmm. a shame to walk away from that event with any negative emotions at all. If you didn't yeah. finish, I mean, what does, yeah. you know, what, 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 what does that mean really? Um, well, you use the term, you use the term curiosity earlier in this discussion um, really as it, as it relates to the training camp and about exploring, you know, exploring sort of deeper deeper parts of yourself. Um, mm -hmm. um, but what were the things that you learned as, as part of your experience with, within the race itself? What, what, what did you walk away with in terms of lessons learned from, uh, from the Barkley fall classic? Lessons learned. Um, I think in the actual race, I think it was an opportunity to, build on lessons that I had been learning all along and, and stay committed to them, quite frankly, like it was, it could have been very tempting to get hyper-focused on the idea, this idea that some I've observed um, other people in this event having that if you um if you don't if you don't go for a finish you didn't dig deep enough right you can it's really easy to get like caught up in that kind of thinking and not and not letting myself get caught up in that kind of thinking was a real I guess you would call it a lesson learned and also building on an intention that I set going into the race. Um, because it's just, it's, I mean, if you just go from, if your whole goal is the finish line and you have no appreciation for the stuff learned along the way or the possibility of learning stuff along the way, you're just going to go from finish line to finish line your entire life without really having gained much at all. So I guess those are some of the lessons learned. Yeah. There's, I don't, think, I don't think there's any question about that. You know, that, uh, that discussion within that, within that, uh, 
that community group about, um, you know, going for the 50K finish and having regrets if you don't. I think, I think also really, I think speaks to this idea, this need that a lot of endurance athletes have about validation, uh, about external yeah. validation. Um, uh, and that external validation uh, comes from the running community that they're in. Right? Yeah. In order, in order them, in order for them to feel as though they are part of the community and not, and not an imposter, um, uh, you know they they they've got to they've got to take on these um, uh, these these sort of very random and and seemingly meaning, meaning meaningless challenges, right? In other words, if if you don't go for a Barkley Fall Classic 50k finish, then then you'll regret it. Which essentially means you 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 won't feel validation from from the community, right? Yeah. Um, that people will be like, "Well, that's great, but you didn't you didn't push yourself enough to go for the fifty k finish," and so therefore, uh, either implicitly or not, um, you're still sort of on the outside of this community, right? And mm -hmm. and um, <laughs> uh, how many of us in our sort of day to day lives and and also our our athletic lives. Uh, how many of us are, are are constantly searching for that external validation? Yeah, uh, and 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 it, it also speaks to these uh, uh, to these sort of hollow, empty experiences that we have, right? We, mm -hmm. uh, you know, we when we when we when we we finally get to the marathon distance and we realize there are ultra distances, there are there are races beyond marathon distance, and we prepare for fifty k, and we feel like. Well, when I finish this 50K, which would be a new distance for me, I, I, I'm, I'm going to have levels of, 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 uh, uh, of self-confidence and, and, and happiness that I've just, I've never imagined or dreamed for myself. Mm -hmm. And you get to that finish line and you, it's, you don't feel it. It's, it's sort yeah. of, it's empty and hollow and you, you it's baffling because you're like, I, I, I don't understand. So, so therefore, well, maybe it's because 50 K is like, meh, everybody does 50 Ks. I got to go to the 50 mile distance. And then so you see, you sort of see where it goes from there, right? 50 miles again, feels hollow and empty and you don't have this, you don't experience the joy and happiness from that 50 mile finish than you, than you that you thought that you would. And, and we continue to search and search and search. And I really think that a big part of that is this constant search for external validation. Mm -hmm. because as I soon totally as you agree. achieve, as soon as you quote unquote, achieve a new thing, you realize there's a whole nother group and community beyond of the community that you're currently in. That's looking at you as an outsider. And like, mm -hmm. that's great stuff. And you get patted on the head for finishing a, a 50 miler, but the hundred mile group says, well, you know, uh, we're here <laughs> and mm -hmm. you haven't yet gotten here yet, but that's, to that's a totally different experience that you had. You, you weren't seeking external validation. In fact, you've, again, we've had this conversation before. You don't do these things for external validation. You do these things for, for, for self-validation maybe is, mm -hmm. is, is a way to describe it. Does that, does that resonate with you at all? This external validation versus this, 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 this internal search for deeper yeah. understanding of self? Yeah. And I, I definitely, you know, I feel, feel like I've definitely been in both camps before. Like I used to really need that external validation to feel like a, um, to feel like a real runner or to feel like I, you know, I was checking off boxes or I was, um, 
I, I don't know. I was doing, I was being like the right kind of runner. But when I realized that like, that didn't make me happy. It Like I didn't, I don't know. I just, I realized that I didn't love that constant search for that external validation. It left me feeling really unsettled a lot of the time. Like I didn't know where I stood with other people and, and I didn't like that that mattered to me. So, you know, one really big thing that I did was I stopped using Strava. I stopped posting what my goals were. Um, I post about my runs, but I very rarely post mileage or pace or elevation. Mostly it's really pretty pictures that I stopped to take because I appreciate moments. But when I stopped being specific about, about those things that most runners get hung up on, I started feeling like I was able to validate myself and I started to feel more solid and um, and good about the runner that I am. Um, and I guess that's long story short, like that's mm. just keeping kind of a low profile really works for me. I think it's, I think it's incredibly powerful um, because ultimately, um, you know, we, we deserve to be happy uh, and running should, and, and running should make you happy. It, it, mm-hmm. it shouldn't feel like a, it shouldn't feel like an endless search for happiness. Yeah, uh, You should be able to create your own happiness. And I think, I think one way to create that happiness um, is with appropriately framed expectations and mm-hmm. intentions. Um and uh, I certainly think you've, you've you've done that in spades. Well, let me ask this this last question, uh, and that is well. I'll, let me ask two two final questions. Um, one of those two final questions is: uh, Will or would you do Barkley Fall Classic again? Um, maybe. I mean, yeah. I I guess if I feel like if I feel like I want to, I mean, I don't feel like I need to, I don't feel like I left anything unfinished there. I I don't know. I don't know that I could have an experience that tops the one I just had. So I guess if I feel like I want to, sure. Why not? Well, you, and that's consistent with 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 what you had uh, noted in your post activity comments. Um, but my second question uh, is a is a follow up on that question and a follow up on your post activity comments. And and I believe as part of your post activity comments, when you when you when you talked about whether or not you would or wouldn't go back to do Barkley Fall Classic, I believe you said that um, if you were to go back, it would be because of the community, the yeah. community. Uh, so my, my final question for you today is, um, what, what is it about that Barkley community, um, that was so powerful that it would draw you back, uh, into that race experience again? Hmm. What was it? Um, I, I don't know. I don't know how to put it into words. It was, um, 
I think for me, it was the people that I, I met, um, whether purposefully or not purposefully, were very, were very much what I try to be as a runner, which is very um, humble and grateful um, and striving to reach goals for themselves and to be around a community of people, you know, not everyone fits into whatever, but to be around this community of people who are kind of, kind of the same in that way. Like I, I mentioned this guy that I met, um, Leonard, who's, I mentioned he's kind of a trail running legend in this community. He didn't tell me that, like, I just knew, but he never once mentioned it, you know? And like, I mean, he, he's incredible and he, you would never know it. And that's the kind of stuff that like, I just, I really appreciate about the ultra running community. Barkley is a little bit extra special, I think, because in some ways, because in order to stand at that start line, you've had to, no matter where your mindset is, you've had to push through a lot of fear. I mean, it's just designed that way. So it's a little bit of, you all know, we all know we've all felt that same feeling of what are we about to get into, you know? And, um, and we've all felt the uncertainty of a training cycle of um, unknowns, because even if you've done the race before, the course changes every year. So you, it doesn't matter if you've done the race before. Um, I guess it's just a shared feeling. And, and honestly, the race gives so much of the proceeds back to Morgan County that there's a really big involvement of the Morgan County community in the BFC. And it's so it's within the runners, but also within within the county itself. Um, it's just really special. I think that that, that was very well said. Um, well, Steph, I, I really appreciate you joining me today. Thank you. Thank you. It was really nice to be able to talk this out with you. I appreciate it. Steph's concept of crossing her finish line is really next level stuff. And to have walked away from a DNF with such a positive take on the entire experience is a lesson that all of us can benefit from. There's no doubt she grew as an endurance athlete because of her exceptional curiosity. Once again, you've been listening to the Eat Half Walk Double podcast. If you're listening on Spotify and enjoyed what you heard, please circle back to the homepage and click the follow button in the upper left-hand corner. And of course, if you really enjoyed the show, please consider sharing it with your friends. I'll be posting some supporting media on my Twitter account at Coach Chris J. Dunn. So make sure to check that out. And lastly, remember, the secret to living well and longer is to eat half, walk double, laugh triple, and love without measure. Until next time.